This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Continue with NBA. We'll continue with a couple games and have fun with that. We'll get to MLB and what's going on tonight. We'll get to the Power Hour. So much to get to, so much fun to have. But right now, we have a great, great, fun guest joining us. We have somebody who does it all. Okay, you, he's the podcast host, analyst, four for four bets, does everything and does everything well. Rick, Rick Camp in the building. Rick, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I said this off air too, but I feel like I need to say it on air. Not seeing Bill as just a still that shows is a little bit jarring, but I <laughs> and, think I'll survive. And my still photo <laughs> is very funny. So yes. it's, oh, it's, it's fantastic. Like, it's it's me making like a maniacal face, like on a podcast I was doing, and we just made that my still photo, and it's ridiculous looking. Not it, that I'm like you know mustache and man. Is it worse than like a license photo. My license photo <laughs> always stinks. Is it is it one of those type of photos? It's a little different than that, but it's uh, it's good to see you too, Rick. <laughs> uh, Rick, a lot going on. Obviously, uh, basketball news, Chicago. What's going on over there? I, I keep feeling like that's sort of the the unknown. If Dame doesn't happen, are, are the Bulls blowing it up? Who's who's on the table? What's going on over there? What's your sense of what's happening with the NBA and Chicago? Uh, in Chicago specifically, not a whole hell of a lot is uh, is what's going on because this front office has been clear about continuity is what they want. They want us to be able to see what this team can be, and clearly when – they went away from the rebuild when Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley came in as the new front office. They basically were saying, and I am don't know for sure, but I think it's pretty clear there was a directive to this rebuild has to stop. So they just went in on high floor players in DeRozan and Vooch. And the thing is, considering how they acquired both of them, especially Vooch, they way overpaid. And that probably led to so uh, this extension, which I don't actually think the extension numbers as bad as people are making it out to be. But either way, the Bulls went for high floor. The problem is a lot of the teams around them are going more for ceiling and are pro- and have passed them by or are going to pass them by pretty soon. So just wanting even to be a play-in team, I don't think is guaranteed this upcoming season for the Bulls. So is everybody going? Well, this is also a Reinsdorf, uh, a Reinsdorf team. So no, people, people are going to be around for a while because Reinsdorf's don't eat money. And as long as, uh, you know, as long as the attendance numbers are good, which they're always good in Chicago, the Bulls have always been a top team. But if they're, if they dip a little bit, okay, maybe. But with this new front office, not even that new anymore. This front office that the Bulls have, they're going to be given opportunities to work their way out of it. It's at least all reporting up to now seems like and. You have DeRozan maybe going into the last year of his deal. Who knows? Maybe I thought that could have been a move that happens. Like, Vooch probably comes back. But then with 
Um, with DeRozan, maybe he'd be a guy that moves just being an older guy towards the end of a deal for a team that's clearly not truly contending. That would have been a move to make. Maybe there wasn't a market for it that the front office liked, that they made them think it was worth it. But uh, this is going to be a team that really, like, it seems like there's two teams in the East that are relying on some form of continuity, and it's the Bulls and the Raptors. And I kind of think, as a result, both of them are going to be taking a slight step back this year. I kind of think, Rick, that uh, if uh, once the Lillard thing happens, I think there's a possibility we see some movement in Chicago, but you're a lot closer to the situation than I am. I've seen Zach Levine's name, DeMar DeRozan's name come up a lot in trade conversations. But I want to I stick in the Eastern Conference here, and I'm looking at... I'm looking at the Boston Celtics right now. They're still the favorites to win the East. They've uh, been close to the favorites to win the NBA championship, second right now behind only Denver. But I, I look at the Marcus Smart trade that did ultimately net them, Kristaps Porzingis, and then I look at this Grant Williams trade. And uh, do you think that they're maybe giving up a little bit too much of what made them the special team that they are. They've been, you know, two years ago, they're in the NBA Finals. They're in the Eastern Conference Finals this last year. Uh, best, uh, Second best record in the league by just a game behind Milwaukee last season. They're making some pretty big changes to the core of this team. Do you think they should still be the favorites in the East? At least as of the moment, yeah. If Lillard ends up going to Miami and it ends up, being about what we're thinking in terms of who heads out the door, then I think odds-wise Miami will be the favorite, but I think them and Boston should be pretty similar, just a, a half step behind Denver. The thing that I think it is is what Boston was because of Ime Udoka. Like, Ime Udoka, defensive-minded coach. So even just small things like uh, – Grant Williams played a good amount under Ime Udoka, where there were times where he was out of the rotation this year and you'd have guys like Sam Hauser getting more uh, rotational minutes. It's just the, Missoula is much more of a guy to lean offense. So when it comes to a splitting hairs decision on maybe who to play in, at towards the end of a rotation or what style they want to play, he's going to lean towards offensive and offensive numbers and what's going to lead towards that versus Ime Udoka, who would rather have the defensive-minded guy out there like Grant Williams, who also could shoot well enough. Now, in terms of like what they got back in the sign-in trade, it was basically he was going to be gone anyway, so you get so you recoup whatever you can, especially as you've seen some of these teams that are really, really good that know they're going to be bumping up against that second apron soon enough, want to get more volume of draft picks, just so in theory those can be guys on the back end of your roster that are nice and cheap that can then be cycled through a little bit and uh, just be able to keep some of the back end of the roster costs down. Now, Rick, value-wise, do you see any good future values in betting who's going to win a conference or who's going to win an entire thing of, of teams that aren't necessarily the Nuggets or Celtics who are at the very top, but a team that you think may jump because of a potential trade or just being better than people think they're going to be, et cetera, et cetera. What do you, what do you see in the futures market when it comes to the NBA? In markets that are available right now, it's a little bit of a stretch just because we need to know how the Harden and Lillard situations resolve. I do like what Cleveland did. I, I was kind of probably too much in on Cleveland last year. I mean, in the regular season, that turned out well, but I had them minus one and a half games against the Knicks, and that blew up in my face spectacularly. But I just think getting losing a little bit on defense from Okoro, but upgrading the shooting to the extent that you do, 
with Max Struess, I think helps out a lot. The fact that he's overpaid just for the fact that I'm winning doesn't really matter right now. Uh, fine, whatever. Like they upgraded that position so significantly, it should help the spacing for the guards to be able to drive a little bit better. Maybe just creates a little bit more space with Mobley and Allen, neither of them really being much of a shooter. So if those two guys are going to be operating inside the arc and maybe be able to have some high-low action, some two-man game between them, uh, I think that definitely helps maximize the space that they're going to have. So in the East, I know I bet MGM listed on the screen, 10-1 to 1 to win the East. I think that's aggressive, but of what's listed right now, I think that's something that I like. Things that I'm going to be looking for as more markets come available as the, as the uh, summer progresses, uh, Indiana to make the playoffs, the Bulls, and maybe the Nets to not make the playoffs. Those are things that I'm going to be looking at. I really like what Indiana did bringing in Obi Toppin, and even though I'm not the biggest Obi Toppin guy, just upgrading in terms of size and skill a little bit from Neesmith, being able to have him and then Jairus Walker as well. And then if, hey, Jairus Walker starts to outperform Toppin, fine. You flip those roles. And just being able to build the way they have around what Halliburton does well and the versatility that having Miles Turner in the, mil in the middle brings, I think that team's going to be interesting. And Orlando as well. Uh, until the Lillard stuff really started coming up, I was dead set on when division prices come out to look at what the Orlando to win the Southeast is going to be. But I think them and Atlanta are a little interesting, especially if Brooklyn's going to drop out uh, of the teams that were in the top six. Maybe that's Atlanta as a team that's able to jump into that. I mean, if Indiana has a really, really good regular season and are able to stay healthy, I wouldn't even be shocked if they were able to slip into that six seed. Like, I think there's going to be the top of the East is probably going to be fairly static, maybe shuffling within itself. But in that back half, I think there's going to be a lot of movement this year. Rick, uh, a lot like me, you spend a, you've spent a decent amount of time talking to and just being around Ken Barkley. And if that happens to anyone, you start thinking a lot about awards. Just all the awards yes. markets, you look to see how you can beat them. Uh, right now, I'm I'm looking at the uh, rookie of the year market and just thinking, you know, Chet Holmgren, he already kind of knows how to be a professional basketball player. And you look at that five to one. Well, not too, not too, uh, not too bad there. I might want to get a little bit in on that. You were saying before we started the interview, you've been setting some parameters for your uh, for your awards betting for your futures. Just what are you looking at? What have you uh, what have you set up for yourself in terms of the awards markets? Rookie of the year, it's still probably going to be Victor. I mean, the fact that it's down to seeing minus one thirty five bet MGM. If you haven't bet Victor, that might be the best number that you're ever going to get because i know there are a lot of people that are bringing up while well, he's going to miss games he played his entire season last year for uh met 92 so he's a guy that looks like he should miss more games and maybe when he gets to the nba you know there will be some they're definitely going to arrest him at times but also i don't think unless something unforeseen happens at that 65 game mark is going to be in question and that's something we have to keep in mind now for these awards markets of 65 games have to be played and all that type of stuff. So Chet specifically, I'm a little worried about just because of volume, because he's a guy that he's showing in summer league, he can bring the ball up himself. But when you have Shea and when you have Josh Giddy and uh, Jalen Williams, Santa Clara variety, like 
you have other dudes that can handle the ball and create and get to the basket to where I just don't know if he's going to be able to put up the counting stats that someone like Victor, someone like Chet's going to be able to do with Fred Van Vliet in the mix. I think that limits Amon Thompson a little bit. And also just like the Thompson twins are have a good chance to be good, but they're just so raw coming in. I mean, they literally played in the league where they had power plays on in basketball, which is <laughs> wild to me. So uh, I don't have much in the rookie of the year market right now. I think it's it's pretty good. One that I can do pretty quick is defensive player of the year. It's very simple. The last 12 years, the winner has come from the top, the first or second ranked defense on cleaning the glass. And in the last 20 years, only twice has the winner come from a non-top three defensive team. It was Tyson Chandler with the Knicks when they had just basically Tyson being the only back line of defense and Marcus Camby with the Nuggets in 2007. Other than that, it's been top three defenses. And in the last 12 years, it has been guys that are on top two defenses. So with it being so limited, the market is pretty good. Looking at who the favorites are and Jaron Jackson, Evan Mobley, Bam, Giannis, Anthony Davis. If you want to go a little further down the board, I don't know that Utah's defense can get top two, but Walker Kessler gets a lot of pub. And then Indiana's going to play so fast, I don't think their defense can, but Miles Turner is a really good defensive player, and he's at 50-1. to There might be a little bit of uh, value on that at some point. So just finding those parameters. And the other one that I have that I really like is being able to narrow down most improved player because I think the term can be so nebulous. No number one pick has ever won. Yet every year when you look at the preseason odds, there's number one picks all over the place. No second-year player has won in the last 12 years. It's been mostly third- and fourth-year players. And in the last 12 years, nine of the 12 times, the winner has been from a team that's in the top six seeds. So if you really start to narrow that down, I've got a couple like pools of where people are in ranges in the odds board that I like. Like your 20-to-1 range, having guys like Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, Josh Giddy. Make some sense. Uh, a guy like Franz Wagner, I believe, is 40 to 1. If Orlando takes us another step forward, people will be thinking of Paolo, but I think Franz Wagner could really be good in that spot. And my favorite one that's a long shot, it, it probably takes an injury, but it's on a team where they always have injuries. Trey Murphy is really good in New Orleans. If Ingram or Zion go down and he is able to get the proper amount of volume, I think he could make that jump into that like low 20s, be a first-time all-star, which is what it takes really to be in that spot, is eight of the last 12 have been first-time all-stars in the year they win most improved player. So Trey Murphy is 80 to 1. So that's a guy that I put, I just took a stab at, nothing big, but I think that's a guy who fits a lot of the parameters. If that team can be good, and if he's that good, the team will probably be good. That could really make a leap at a big number. Oof. That's 80 to 1. That's a good one. I also like that Josh Giddy. For some reason, Josh Giddy jumps out the board. Really good player. The Thunder, I think, are going to be a, a playoff team. So that goes to Agreed. what you said, Rick. A team that's in the top six or seven, Josh Giddy makes an improvement. That could be a good one to look at. Look, Rick, I appreciate you as always. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Listen, any last quick bets? We got 60 seconds. Any last quick bets that you want to throw out there? Maybe a best bet before we get out of here. Summer League MVP Andrew Nemhard, another 80 to 1. If 
Mathering gets shut down pretty quick. Indiana still has enough depth to be pretty good in the summer league. Like they have the fourth or fifth best odds to win, but the guy who's going to be running the show for them in summer league is 80 to one to be the MVP. I don't know how that makes a whole lot of sense. So if you want to go away from like scoot at 11, if you wanted to go like part of a unit on uh-huh. scoot and part of a unit on him on Nemhard, I think that's a good way to go. 80 to one. He got you Rick making you some money. We'll put it down right now before while you had the chance. Rick, again, appreciate you. That's you better, you bet. We coming back with more summer league action, more odds, and more would you rather. Be right back. <laughs> 